and welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans Who Love America, episode 51. Yes, we'll talk on all things China, Russia, the latest Supreme Court move. Some local San Francisco news, marriage equality, all of these great topics. Um, housing and homeless as well. And some will just be titles and some will, will dig deep. So let's start off. Let's just start off with China. This is Washington Examiner, typically a conservative news outlet by Jerry Dunlavy. Secret documents reveal FBI investigated decision to give cash to Wuhan lab linked to COVID-19. It was yesterday, which is today, but it's midnight-ish. So newly released government records reveal the FBI investigated a decision by the National Institute of Health to issue a grant that was tied to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. NIH emails show the Bureau was investigating possible gain-of-function research and the lab possible failures to comply with reporting rules. The Chinese government lab has been, has been suspected as a source of COVID-19. The new information uncovered by the conservative group Judicial Watch shows that a senior investigations officer in the NIH Division of Program Integrity named Ashley Sanders sent an email to FBI Newark Field Office agent David Miller in May 2020 with the subject line, Grant Questions FBI Inquiry. I'm not going to read all the numbers. The tag identifier is R01AI11964, the identifier for the NIH and National Institute of, Nash of Allergy and Infectious Disease awarded to EcoHealth Alliance. Title, Understanding Bat Coronavirus Emergence. A sub-award from that was provided to the Wuhan lab. The email to the FBI was also sent to NIH officials, including Eric Stemme, and stated that in preparation for our call Tuesday, Eric CC'd had provided a response to your additional question below. More than four pages of responses are completely redacted, aside from a re reference to the U.S. grant to EcoHealth. The Washington Examiner reached out to the FBI and NIH about a parent investigation. FBI declined to comment and NIH did not respond. The Washington Examiner previously reported that EcoHealth leader Peter Daszak was a longtime collaborator with the Wuhan lab who steered hundreds of thousands of dollars in NIH funding to the Chinese lab. NIH Deputy Director Michael Laurel Lorer revealed yesterday, last year and again this year that NIH had violated the terms of its grant awards, which Republicans claim show EcoHealth was engaging in risky gain-of-function research in China. Remember, Dr. Fauci continually denied that. That's why Dr. Fauci does not have any clout at all, in my view. I don't care how politically adhered everybody is to him, whether Republican or Democrat, he outright lied. NIH Deputy Director Michael Lohr 
Um, okay, we already read that. The NIH was run and then by now former head Dr. Francis Collins, while Dr. Anthony Fauci still leads the NIAID. Other emails have shown they work behind the scenes to cast doubt on the lab leak possibility. Oh, behind the scenes? They worked round the clock to make it seem as if everybody who believed that it was anything other than a bat was completely insane. And, you know, that completely was revealed to be lies. And it's absolutely from a lab. And there's never been a formal, I think, acknowledge. Well, there was, not by Dr. Fauci, but by some um, ethical Democratic leaders finally did say, yeah, a lab. But before Trump, no. Trump was right about that. And I remember reading um, it got out, quote unquote, about the initial leak from the lab. And then that was by CNN and then that story got buried. And then all this effort to try to cover up, cover up, cover up about the lab leak. And Dr. Fauci was totally part of that. So um, he's not redeemed himself. He's not trustworthy. I don't think he should be a spokesperson for anything health. Um, his integrity is compromised, and if he's done that before, what's to say he wouldn't do it again for the future damn pandemics to come? EcoHealth sent a letter to Laura in April 2021 saying that immediately following NIH's letter on 4-1920 that WIV was being investigated. We suspended all plans for contractual work with WIV. Wuhan Institute of Virology. The group argued the termination of funded relationship with the institute makes it extraordinarily difficult, more likely impossible to provide the information requested about an autonomous foreign organization. Dazdik dismissed the lab leak hypothesis in March 2021 when he admitted he took Wuhan lab workers at their word, meaning minutes from discussions between lab scientists in Wuhan and WHO China COVID origins. <laughs> Joint study team revealed the lab leak concerns were referred to as myths, conspiracy theories. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know why the arrogance of my party at times, my Democratic Party, to think that in this day and age, you can try to do a cover-up like that and think that you could get away with it ever. Never. An advisory group assembled by the World Health Organization said that in June, the lab leak hypothesis needed further study. Office of Director of National Intelligence released an assessment in the summer of 2021, stating that one U.S. intelligence agency assessed with moderate confidence that COVID most likely emerged from a Chinese government lab in Wuhan, while four U.S. spy agencies in the National Intelligence Council believe with low confidence COVID most likely had a natural origin. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole book written about it. It's called The Eyes of Darkness by the pen name Lay Nichols. The actual name, what was the actual name? Oh, I forget now. But The Eyes of Darkness, Lay Nichols is the pen name. And it's a sci-fi book and it's an intel book and it's a reveal and the specifics of 2020 being the year. It was written in 1981 about the coronavirus being released from a lab in Wuhan. And that it would be an upper respiratory disease and that it would affect their world. And yeah, but that couldn't be real, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
So the biggest lesson from that whole situation is from a Democratic Party to never attempt to cover up, to never assume that they would be smart enough to fool the American people, um, and to always know that eventually all truth comes out. So just either been silent or not have tried to skew it because it just reeks of guilt. And that caused a lot of divisions in my party and the Republican Party in the country, which were not necessary, (laughs) not necessary whatsoever. What would have been a better explanation? You know, yeah, we're funding gain of research in China. This is why we want to see how we can combat diseases in the event of bio warfare and other things. And yeah, probably the security is not the greatest. And, you know, I mean, honesty is the best policy. But the amount of cover-up that Fauci was doing, and it became Fauci versus Trump, right? And then Trump ended up being right. And, you know, he's not right on everything, definitely not, but he was right about that. And Fauci just still, to this day, assumes the role of authority and just, you know, buries the truth. And, you know, we're all supposed to just take whatever he says at face value. No, I'm sorry. You have to earn integrity. The COVID origin story. That's what I'll call that one. Okay. Um, by the way, I read the book cover to cover the eyes of darkness and it's, it's pretty much to what has happened. And it's also just a very interesting sci-fi book if you would like to get entertained. Um, I mean, okay, monkeypox in San Francisco. Yeah, we need vaccines. New York as well. I don't know what the holdup is. Okay, Oakland waterfront housing site sat vacant for years. Now city is poised to, okay, 100% affordable home plan. That's exciting. San Francisco Chronicle, Sarah Ravani. Um, nearly eight years ago, dozens of protesters stormed Oakland City Council, demanding council members reject a market rate housing proposal on a hotly contested piece of city-owned land near Lake Merritt. They argued the neighborhood was undergoing gentrification, and instead the city should prioritize building a 100% affordable housing project at the site because it's public land. At the time, their efforts failed, but after it sat for empty for years, or the developer tried and failed to raise financing for the project, City Council was poised on Tuesday to move forward two housing projects by two separate developers that will both be 100% affordable. The original project would have been at least 361 homes, including 108 affordable units, while the new proposal is likely to build fewer than 200 units. This particular parcel of land is very complex and contentious history, said the council president, Nikki Fortuna Bass, who represents the district that land is located on, spoke strong words and using favor of public land for affordable housing and homelessness solutions. We have a real responsibility, I believe, to make sure there's very low income housing that is responsive to the families and the young people that need it. 
The proposed new affordable development comes as the city grapples with an escalating homelessness and housing crisis. In last official count, the population of homeless people living in Oakland increased by 24 over the past three years. 24%. Oakland accounts for more than half of the Alameda County's overall homeless population of 9,747. In November, the city opened a temporary homeless shelter on a site called Lakeview Village. Pallet shelters for 71 people who formerly lived in encampments. Oakland is also lagging on its affordable housing goals. The state asked Oakland to issue permits for 6,949 low income and moderate units by 2023, but the city has met only 22% of that goal so far with permits approved for 1,506 affordable units. Housing advocates support affordable housing on the site. Some of the state funds that have already been raised by the affordable developer will help pay for infrastructure improvements. Our organization supports creating new homes for residents of all income levels to help alleviate our housing shortage, displacement, affordability crisis, says Corey Smith, the executive director of the Housing Action Coalition. In a letter, the city council supported the proposal that is farthest along. It will still take many years for any housing to appear on the site. The project will need full approval and then funding, followed by construction, which could take years. City Council will vote on two separate resolutions Tuesday, one to start the process with the East Bay Asian Local Development Corporation, EBALDC, a nonprofit developer, to build 91 affordable units on a portion of land, and another to enter in ex- exclusive negotiations with Satellite Affordable Housing Associates, or SAHA, to develop a second affordable housing building for an undetermined number of units on another portion of the site. In 2016, the City Council selected developer Urban Core to develop the plot into market rate project of public land. As part of that plan, EBALDC planned to build a separate affordable housing building connected to the Urban Core project. But Urban Core will never able to raise funds needed to break ground on the market rate project. And in February, the council rejected developers' bid for a sixth extension, paving the way for a new opportunity at the contentious site. Okay, let's sum up. It's getting too detailed and boring. A majority of residents in the surrounding neighborhood are people of color, making less than $50,000. She said from 2000 to 2018, the East 12th Neighborhood Census Track has mass experienced massive gentrification. Um, a tiny community should have should not have to fight for seven years to do what is right. Owen said, but we did it. We're going to win. I think that's great and look forward to following the development there. Caltrans to clear Oakland homeless encampment near MacArthur Mays. And that's not loading, but okay. Most recent major fire at encampment happened. July 11th, another large fire on April 5th killed one person who was living in an RV. Enough is enough. Yeah, these fires are deadly. And 
and then a federal judge granted a temporary restraining order to the residents of the sprawling homeless encampment at Oakland's Wood Street, preventing Caltrans from clearing out the 200 people. Let's see if this will pull up. Should be pulling up faster stories. The fires are what is really making the problem and endangering lives in addition to just no shelter really can't open this okay that's fine oh shoot move to these did not go in the right folder 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 Oh, we were going to talk about China, <laughs> and I just totally deviated, didn't I? Oh, well. Well, we did talk about the COVID part. Let's see. Let's go back to China. Sorry. Just trying to get through the massive amounts of Chinese news. Good gracious. Every day. Is this not going to pull up now, too, because of bad connection? <laughs> okay. Well, let's just reconnect, shall we? I know it's tedious with all the China news, but it's just really important because... I think if you follow this series, listeners out there of the future, of the past, of the current, those who would take this and copy it to mass produce, which is fine with me, you know, you'll see the pattern build up as I've been talking about. That one only gets to see if one's glued, you know, clued into it and glued to it like I am, to see the patterns that happen with China and why it's so important not to expect diplomacy is the answer with them. Okay, this one is Fortune magazine. China just put foreign banks on notice, creating an internal Communist Party committee. Could be the cost of doing business Yvonne Lau yesterday. One of the world's biggest bank and Europe's second largest lender is showing that it's playing by China's rules. That's not good. London headquartered HBC, HSBC has become the first international bank to establish a Chinese Communist Party committee. <laughs> According to a new Financial Times report, China's company's law requires firms to set up CCP committees, but this rule has been loosely enforced among global financial institutions until now. HBC SBC's move could pave the path for other global lenders to follow suit and underscores a delicate line that China-based foreign banks are now towing between Beijing and the West. HSBC's China Investment Bank, known as HSBC Key High Securities, recently formed the CCP committee as per FT report and cited two people familiar with the decision. And China company employees can initiate CCP committees, which are typically made up of three or more staff 
And they have two functions, to act as both workers' union and facilitate installing party representative to a company's top ranks. HSBC is unlikely to offer its CCP committee any management role in the company, unlike China's state-owned enterprise, SOEs, which are mandated to appoint a party secretary to serve as a board chairman. SOEs must also establish CCP committees to facilitate party activities and advance government policies. Following the reports, HSBC released a statement noting that CCP committees are common in mainland China part, mainland China-based companies. Management has no role in establishing such groups, and these committees exert zero influence on the direction of the business, nor hold any formal role in the business day-to-day operations. It added, the bank did not confirm whether it's China's investment bank had set up the committee. HSBC did not respond. HSBC's actions could pave the way for other foreign lenders in China to do the same. In the last two years, global global lenders have been, been taking full ownership of their mainland operations, leading them to explore whether they must abide by the law to initiate a CCP committee, according to FT. There was an internal email that we might need to do something, but for the time being, not yet compulsory. The Asia head of one global bank told the publication, in 2020, China scrapped foreign ownership leaders' limits for financial institutions. Previously, foreign financial firms were only allowed to hold a 51% stake in their Chinese joint ventures. HSBC increased the stake in its China brokerage JV from 90% to 51 in April. Six other global lenders control their investment banking operations in the mainland, including U.S. banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, alongside European lenders, UBS, Credit Suisse, and Deutsche Bank. HSBC is on the right side setting up the CCP committee. A person with knowledge of its decision told FT, you don't second-guess authorities in China. Any American bank who isn't doing the same is playing a dangerous game. Though headquartered in London, HSBC's focus is largely on Asia. Largely on Asia, The region, especially China and Hong Kong, accounts for the majority of the bank's profits. Last year, the British lender shifted the heart of the operations to Asia when it moved four senior executives leading the commercial banking, personal banking, asset management divisions from London to Hong Kong. These departments account for nearly all the bank's revenue. Is a Pacific essential to our future growth investment innovation? I want more of our global executive team to be located in the key growth regions, including China, Southeast Asia, and India. HSBC CEO Noel Quinn said at this time. Yet, as HSBC doubles down on its Asia strategy, it's investing an additional $6 billion in the region until 2026 has become increasingly ensnared in geopolitical crossfire between China and the West. In the last couple of years, HSBC has weathered a barrage of criticism from U.S. and U.S. and U.K. lawmakers over its public support for Beijing's enactment of national security law in Hong Kong, a response to the city's mass pro-democracy protests that began in 2019. HSBC said at the time it will respect and support laws that regulate and enable Hong Kong to recover and build the economy. Western polymakers accuse HSBC of freezing the accounts of Hong Kong activists' rights and having the bank justify its actions and whether it did so at the best behest of Hong Kong or Beijing. This May, China's large insurer, state-run Ping An 
Each SBC's bigger stakeholder called for the bank to split, split into east and west units. Ping and suggestion highlighted HSBC's vulnerability at being caught between Beijing and Washington. One source close to HSBC told FT that such a move could allow HSBC more breathing room by creating a China-friendly bank in Asia and a U.S.-friendly bank everywhere else. I think financial bankruptcy and financial attack should be the first. It already has started the divestment of our country from China and the need for Britain and the EU to divest. You know, there's many ways to define a war. And one way is not defining it at all. And that's probably the Chinese way in terms of anything I say Chinese, always remember it's the CCP. It's not your average Chinese person, not a racist. I, you know, American born Chinese love it here. Chinese that move here that are legit, that are not connected to the CCP, love it here, are great contributors. They've done a lot for this country. I never forget that. I try to say it every time I come down on the CCP because that's quite a different thing. And that is not the reflection of the majority of Chinese, but they're the ones in power and control, and that's what's the problem. And they're unreachable, they're unworkable, they don't respond to diplomacy, they play games and they infiltrate like these methods with the bank takeovers in our country. And you could say we're at war now. It's just a silent war of their attempt to take over. I mean, I honestly think Tom Cotton, of all of the different government leaders that I've heard, um, has the most sound, solid advice on all things China. Tom Cotton is a senator out of Arkansas. I don't agree with a lot of other political topics on him, but he is consistently finger on the pulse regarding to all things China. He's kind of stepped out of the spotlight. He probably was tired of saying it so many times, but we kind of need him to come back to say it because he's absolutely accurate in what he says about China and the mission and the greater purpose of infiltration and takeover from the inside right, stealthily and sneakily, and at times they will rear up and be threatening, but for the most part, it's done subtly, sneakily, and intentionally, and that's what has to stop, you know, um, the West, Japan, I don't think Japan's really tied to it, Um, others, you know, have to wake up and realize, like, all things CCP, no, You know, and I mean, look at the Chinese in China trying to rise up and protest and rebel, and they are. And we see that. We see them trying to, and that is the right thing to do. We need Russia to do more of that um, because that encourages and enables our country, other countries, to be sympathetic and want to help when we see their own citizens, you know, rebelling and rising up against. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So I know it's like, you're probably so sick of China, but 
you know, they, I'm going to keep talking about these stories as they continue to be revealed because it's important. We can't just dismiss it and not talk about it. You know, Michael Morris politically is, it's like the most bizarre thing ever that he doesn't talk on anything China. It's just a total anomaly to me. I think he should make his next film on it. Honestly, on all the ways they've infiltrated and all of the things going on over there. Um, you know, he features quite a lot of other countries' cultural habits and ways in Fahrenheit um, 11.9. Well, what about China? Nope, you won't touch that. You know, and he should be able to touch that. He touches everything else. It's, it's very important for my Democratic Party to start to really speak out. And that doesn't make you Republican. And it also doesn't make you racist. It makes you pro-democracy and pro-liberation for the Chinese over there. Washington Examiner official probe Huawei over fears of spying on missile silos and military bases. Christopher Hutton. Biden administration officials have been investigating concerns that Chinese telecoms, a company Huawei, may be gathering sensitive information on military locations. The officials are looking into whether Huawei's cell towers have been gathering sensitive information from missile silos or missile military bases and sending it to China, according to Reuters. Officials are particularly concerned about Huawei recording data regarding military drills and readiness status of certain facilities, according to one source. This investigation was opened by the Commerce Department shortly after President Joe Biden came into office and occurred after a May 2019 executive order empowered the department to investigate the Chinese company. Huawei is was subpoenaed by the agency in April 2021 to learn about its policies regarding shared data with foreign entities. The Com Commerce Department declined to confirm or deny its investigation. It stated that protecting U.S. person safety and security Security against malign information collection is vital to protection our economy and national security. Huawei has been the target of scrutiny from federal regulators for years and has regularly denied allegations that shares data with Chinese Communist Party. The Federal Communications Communication announced in January 2020 that Huawei was considered a national security threat, despite Huawei's regular denials of regulators' concerns. Well, they live by denial. Again, you can't work with a country that lives on lies as they breathe. So it has to be fought and removed by violence and by military strategy and financial bankruptcy. The drive. China's nuclear power's super long-range torpedo concept fits concerning pattern by Howard Altman. Imagine low-cost nuclear-powered torpedoes that can travel largely undetected and swarm across the Pacific Ocean and strike U.S. targets in about a week. To a group of researchers in Beijing, that's not just a fever dream. It's a concept they believe can turn into reality and an ambition U.S. State Department officials have been warning about. Chinese researchers say they completed a conceptual design for such weapons in the paper published this month by the peer-reviewed journal of the Unmanned Undersea Systems, a publication run by China's big, biggest naval contractor, South China Morning Post, reported Tuesday. Torpedo system would use a disposable nuclear reactor to reach and maintain a cruising speed of over 30 knots, 35 miles an hour, for 200 hours before dumping the reactor. It would then fall to the seabed. The torpedo would continue to draw power from a battery to launch its conventional non-nuclear attack. 
It is unclear what type of targets the Huaz team is considering for this weapon. The South China M Post article did not offer any specifics. Well, see, SCMP likened the system to Russian Poseidon undersea nuclear power nuclear tip torpedo drone. There are many differences which scientist Zhou Zhan from China Institute of Atomic Energy reportedly noted in the Journal of Unmanned Undersea Systems paper. The Poseidon is one of Vladimir Putin's six so-called superweapons highlighting in a fierce, fiery address in 2019. Its main job is to strike at coastal installations with little to no warning. It reported an especially dirty nuclear warhead, which means it would not only cause immediate damage, but also contaminate the area with radiation and impede any continued operations or repairs. Some believe Poseidon would detonate off the coast near large naval installations and or major population centers and send a wall of irradiated water inland swamping and contamination large areas of the radioactivity. Its nuclear propulsion and other design elements would allow it to be launched from thousands of miles away and potentially loiter for long periods of standby before prosecuting an attack or being recalled. The special mission submarine Beigorod, which was turned over to the Russian Navy early this month, carries a torpedo. A glimpse of the propulsion section of the Stratus 6 beside a nuclear-armed nuclear power torpedo. By contrast, the Chinese weapon proposed by Guo and his team had a conventional warhead. There's no reason why a nuclear warhead wouldn't be possible. It is small enough to fit in the conventional torpedo tube and can be produced in far greater quantities. Thanks to high flexibility, low cost, this unmanned underwater vehicle equipped with a nuclear power system can be used as conventional force, like an attacks nuclear submarine rather than a nuclear missile, he said, according to SCMP. It would, in part, meet a growing local demand for China for small, high-speed, long-range, unmanned underwater vehicles that can be used in reconnaissance, tracking, attack, and strategic strike. A Chinese SHSU-110, sorry, a Chinese HSU-001 unmanned underwater vehicle. No details have been released about the particular underwater drone used and reported in 2010 trial. The key to growth system is a low-cost disposable nuclear reactor that gives off just enough power to propel the torpedo great distances before detaching the system's final attack. To build new nuclear power system with mature simple technology is easy to use and maintain, inexpensive and suitable for mass production. We need to think of it outside of the box, Gua said. Gua's team stripping the most shielding materials from the reactor, protecting only some critical components from radiation, SCMP reported. They also replaced expensive coatings made with rare earth elements inside the reactor core with cheap materials such as graphite. The resulting reactor would generate more than 1.4 megawatts of heat with less than 8.8 pounds of low concentration uranium fuel. The reactor would be so cheaply designed that only about 6% of the generated heat would be converted electricity to power the torpedo, but that would be more than enough to, for a one-way trip. The nuclear power torpedo system proposed by China researchers would be designed to travel upwards of 62,000 miles, or the distance from Shanghai to San Francisco. When the manufacturing cost is low enough, even if the nuclear power device can only be used once, the overall cost will be low, the researcher said, according to SCMP. This in turn stimulates us to make the system simpler and smaller. Under the Guad design, a chain reaction would not start until about a half hour after the torpedo left the launching program. This makes it safe to handle because it would not be radioactive until it reached a safe distance from whatever platform it launched, launched it. 
that chain reaction would happen about 20 times faster than a typical reactor on a nuclear submarine to be able to reach a working temperature of nearly 600 degrees Fahrenheit. That would accelerate the torpedo to a cruising speed of about 37 miles an hour. The researchers estimate the reactor would be able to operate for up to 400 hours, cruising at 6,200 miles, about the distance from Shanghai to San Francisco. It would then separate and fall to the bottom of the deep sea, activating a safety mechanism to kill the remaining chain reaction, they said, according to SCMP. Even the hull is broken. The interior is filled with water, and the whole body falls into the wet sand on the seabed. The reactor will not have a critical accident. The safety is ensured. The weapons would be designed to be fired from any number of platforms, especially China's growing fleet of submarines. Chinese submarine fleet is diverse and growing rapidly. Plan image. Oh, plan image. Many questions remain about such a concept. SCMP did not publish a link to the Guo paper in efforts to find it had proven unsuccessful. Unsuccessful SCMP has in the past published stories of extraordinary sounding Chinese military attack that is not actually materialized, including weather modifying radar, laser assault rifle, among other examples of this phenomenon that we've previously addressed. Then there are questions about some of the details. A CMC article, for instance, says a torpedo can travel 200 hours before dropping its reactor and having the torpedo power, powered by a battery to a target also mentions it can travel 400 hours. Whether that means it can travel for 200 hours on battery power alone is unclear. Beyond that is an even bigger question. Through the Journal of Unmanned Undersea Systems, is run by China Shipbuilding Industry Corp, and Guo works for China Institute of Atomic Energy, the China National Nuclear Corp, main research institute. It's unclear on how feasible concept reality is. We've researched out to several nuclear reactor experts for analysis, and we'll update the story without any response. With any response. It is possible that Guo's team is talking about a radioisotope thermoelectric generator, RTG, sort of a nuclear battery that converts its heat from radioactive decay into electric power. An RTG was in- initially considered to have been involved three years ago in still very mysterious explosion during the test of Russia's Boravsnik nuclear-powered missile. Wherever they can find Whether it can fit into a conventional torpedo tube and be safely handled by a crew remains to be seen. An image said that to show one of Russia's experimental NM, okay, Russia's experimental 9M730. B-U-R-E-V-E-S-T-N-I-K, nuclear-powered cruise missile, something is like an aerial counterpart to Poseidon, and one Russia's aforementioned superweapons that could fly for days at a time, evading defenses, attack from surprise vectors with its nuclear warhead. The system is plagued with design problems, and its nuclear propulsion is highly, but China is said to be interested in something similar, but regardless of what kind of nuclear power source is used. The concept of it being dumped into a seabed, no matter how safe Guao and his team claim that might be, is sure to raise alarms well beyond the halls of Pentagon. The SCMP also mentioned that China is interested in swarming technology for undersea weapons programs. Smart torpedoes acting in packs would play an important role in the future sea battles. Miling, researchers studying submarine launch technology with the Navy Submarine Academy in Guangdao, Chandong Province. SCMP quoted her as saying, AI technology would enable the torpedoes to select and attack targets with little or no human intervention, she said in a separate paper published in the same journal of July 13th. China is certainly deeply engaged in developing such capabilities. Yeah, they're really into the remote warfare. They really are. S- smart tornadoes would be able 
torpedoes, smart torpedoes, would be able to set up an ambush on the other side of the ocean and strike submarines as they leave a port in home waters is difficult to reach by manned platforms, Ma said. The torpedo swarm could take orders from humans or from an unmanned underwater vehicle that is able to carry out a wide range of missions, such as a reconnaissance and following a high-value target, she added. This is the most dynamic research tech field at present. All of this sounds easy when loosely discussed, but actually pulling it off, especially when it comes to finding and successfully attacking dynamic targets over very long ranges while still being in the loop of any command and control architecture at all is much easier said than done. Still, there's a great deal of concern about China's development of these types of weapons. Last year, Ambassador Robert Wood, the U.S. envoy to the Conference of Disarmament in Geneva, suggests China was looking at the kind of nuclear-powered underwater drones and nuclear-powered cruise missiles being developed by Russia. Wood said that China hasn't developed or been able to weaponize attack yet. If they were to develop these types of weapons and aerial systems, this has potential to change the strategic stability environment in a dynamic way. Hans Christensen, director of the Nuclear Information Project of Federation of American Scientists, told AP he hadn't heard of any government official make a similar assertion. But it's not surprising that China would be developing and exploring tech that they see others working on. Christensen, an experienced analyst of China, Russian, and American nuclear arsenal, said. He added that the developing weapons tech, but leaving it on the shelf rather than deploying it, is an old trademark of the Chinese. Last September, Understate of Secretary for Arms Control and International Security Bonnie Jenkins hired at U.S. concerns about China's novel nuclear-powered nuclear capabilities. Beijing is planning to substantially expand its nuclear arsenal, she said in a speech in the 17th Annual NATO Conference and WMD Arms Control Disarmament and Non-Proliferation. The People's Republic of China nuclear buildup, which has accelerated in the last year, now looks to include novel nuclear power capabilities and massive increase of silo-based intercontinental ballistic missile forces. The destabilization dynamic originating from PRC's rapid and opaque nuclear buildup cannot be ignored. Thank you. Do not ignore it, Democratic Party. The U.S. is clearly not ignoring the threat of the wide range of the nuclear, of the new nuclear-powered Chinese and Russian weapons. Tuesday, we told you about the Space Defense Agency awarding $1.3 billion in contracts to launch 28 satellites that will become part of a massive constellation used to detect and track hypersonic weapons, for instance, like the massive Russian Belgorod submarine armed with a Poseidon City Killer torpedo. The Guo concept is merely notional, or at least it appears to be, but there can be little doubt very long-range autonomous weaponry concealed below the, below the waves is rapidly growing concern for the U.S. and its allies. Which is why we don't want to sit there, Europe. We don't want to sit there, Britain. We don't want to sit there, U.K. We don't want to sit there, America. Well, we're not. We're always trigger-happy. We don't want to sit there, Australia. We don't want to sit there, Japan. We don't want to sit there, allies, and go, well, let's just stall it out as long as possible. Because it's so hard to justify the war. It isn't hard to justify the war. The war has already commenced. The war is on. World War III has commenced. And how it is commenced by China is to be subtle and infiltrate and develop these technologies and take over everything and then do full fire launch because we've waited so long in our it's so hard to justify war and um, then it's what then it's a real problem right 
we have to be able to see Darth Vader and the stormtroopers before they strike and before they're really equipped to be a quite a threat and then hit them before. And I mean, what better reason? They don't need to exist. Chinese Communist Party has failed. It's a horrific government leading agency. We cannot work with them on climate change. They do not have the right to exist. And Taiwan and Hong Kong have wonderful models that they can implement in China. This is not, you know, Western imperialism. This is not a redo of the old English days. This is just common sense to minimize loss of life and to strike while the iron's hot and to stop all this ridiculous Chinese Communist Party infiltration of not just our, our country, obviously, but of Britain and everywhere else. If we're so afraid to justify war, and then then we're caught with our pants down when we had all this at the time to get it done beforehand. How many more reasons do you need? I thought COVID would have been enough. The pandemic would have been enough to start the war, and I would have thought, what, all the human abuses, the animal rights abuses, the environmental abuses, what, what, what haven't they done to justify the war? In my pathetic English accent. The war is beyond justified. It's cowardice. That is our enemy right now. And that's the problem. And my concern is, is that we're going to be so preoccupied with fault finding and we not wanting war crimes and uh, uh, and wimpism and wokeism or whatever else ism, that China is just going to be sitting there smiling, developing more and more torpedoes more and more intercontinental ballistic missiles going, wow, they're really giving us time to like build up artillery. That's great. With the same goal and mission that they have, which is to be the world power. The Chinese Communist Party would love to rule the world. I mean, obviously. And, you know, our stalling is not helping. Now, I don't suggest that America rush in and repeat the failures of Vietnam, North Korea, and Afghanistan. No, we've learned this, of course. But I'm saying a concerted, concentrated, collective, allied effort altogether saying, you know what, we've all gotten together and we've determined, China, that you are no longer safe to have around. You're building up too many. So we're just going to start World War III now, officially. And get it done before the missile launches or whatever, or the torpedo launches from Shanghai to San Francisco or Shanghai to LA or Shanghai to wherever else. Um, It's just, plus other infiltrations. It's, it's, you know, the sooner we can all face this and have these talks and discuss it and actually, and we are, I see it. I'm going to talk about Britain next and what they're doing finally because I never hear about what they're doing you know then the more we can I guess Russia we're going to save for tomorrow because China again is hogging up all the stories um no six miles away that's not very much a town in Scotland will soon has a high energy laser weapons hub that will test and maintain the systems capable of striking targets six miles away. That doesn't exactly appeal to the story that I just read. For This is for drone striking. 
I'm just going to see if they name the countries that they're redeeming as threats. And they don't. It's such a short article, too. Okay, well, one can imply. Okay, it is Metro Britain is making a Star Wars-esque laser weapon to zap enemy drones. This was yesterday. Britain is making a Star Wars-esque laser weapon to zap enemy drones. Town in Scotland will soon house high-energy laser weapons hubs that will test and maintain systems capable of striking targets from six miles away. Defense Tech and Raytheon UK plans to open the Advanced Laser Integration Center in Livingston and West Lothian last next year. Officials hope it will serve as a hub for Europe. These laser weapons are designed to combat asymmetrical threats like drones, rockets, artillery, mortars, according to Michael Hoffel, Senior Director of High laser and high energy lasers, Raytheon intelligence and space. Demand is spiking for cost effective lasers to defeat these threats, he said. Adding the company's tech would help its customers defend the skies. Okay, it would be nice if you would mention the freaking enemies outright, and you don't. Well, it's China and Russia, so there. The tech doesn't require irreplaceable ammunition. It may work out cheaper than other forms of weaponry in the long run. Lasers blasting drones out of the air may seem reminiscent of high-tech battles found in sci-fi films like Star Wars. Well, this is Star Wars. Hello, we are the Jedi. And China and the Communist Party over there is Darth Vader, the Sith Lords, and the Stormtroopers. But the firm's president of electronic warfare system, Annabelle Flores, is the real thing. It didn't look quite as exciting as laser beams are invisible. Okay, well, we're not looking for drama and theater here. We're looking for effective war tactics. 72.5 million pounds worth of contact, contracts for the next tech. I mean, that's fine. You, yeah, you won't run out of weaponry. I mean, that's brilliant, actually. Um, six miles isn't very, but at least it's something. They actually have a picture of it, and it's Star Wars-based. I mean, it's true. This metaphor applies. You couldn't get, thank you, George Lucas, because you couldn't get a more appropriate metaphor than this. Okay, so, you know, the Brits are working on their lasers. Thank you. You know, I am encouraged. It's just every day we delay. I don't mean America. I mean we corporate allies here. Every day we delay. They just stockpile more and more and more. They're going to keep on with the same tactics. There's no breakthroughs. There's no redeeming the Chinese Communist Party. It's just about eliminating and having Hong Kong and Taiwan take it over and spread their democracy, their form of Asian democracy that's already there. And, I mean, Japan has its form. So, you know, the territory is ripe for democracy there. But, I mean, the Communist Party is not going to give it up without a fight, a big fight. And that's my concern is it's hard to justify war. It isn't that hard to justify this country to be removed in terms of the current government there, in terms of the Chinese Communist Party. They have um, already, you know, proved themselves guilty to the world. I mean, what better example than the pandemic? But so many other examples, and their own people, and the people that leave there that, you know, are here in San Francisco and other areas that say, yeah, they're awful. We're so glad to be here. We can't stand it there. And yet they threaten to kill our families, and they threaten, you know, it's just awful. It's really that awful. 
There is no redeeming that. There is no languaging that. There is no sitting and talking with that. There is no negotiating with that. So, you know, if Western leaders have to justify, you know, okay, seven times a try before we can clear our conscience and then get fighting, then let's get these meetings wrapped up quicker because it's going to be that end with those particular, uh, with that particular government. Um, you know, and I don't want them to have more time to build more weapons to become even more of a real threat because we were just so hard to justify wall. It's not that hard. And it's for the betterment of the world. And it's for the betterment of 2 billion Chinese citizens who are, you know, basically crying and begging for intervention. Really. But we just can't do the American way of, oh, we'll take care of it. <laughs> we'll go in. Oh, we have three failures of that. So we know that. Um, it has to be, no, we'll, we will all go in together. One for all, all for one. And then we will end it. And then we can you know, work on the market and the climate change and not have any of this nonsense. We don't have this nonsense with Taiwan. We don't have this nonsense with Hong Kong. It's just the crazy power hungry monster insane Caligula's of the Chinese Communist Party. So we have more than enough justification for war. Okay. I mean, it's amazing. I did not know that they had infiltrated London to so much with the HSBC banks. Um, London and in the Brits and the UK of all of them are seeming to be the, the slowest to get engaged. Um, you know, Putin made a threat that he would blow London out of the sky. I don't know what else has to happen for you know, the UK to really wake up and take charge of the Western democracy as well. It's not a reenaction of imperialism. If that's the fear or the perception, it won't be. Of course not, because it would not just be your country. It would be you and the rest of all of us. And of course, you know, America is always ready for a fight. You never have to worry about us. It's always the rest. We have to make sure that are on board first to lead. And then, of course, you have our pledge, obviously. So let's get this started, because I'm sick of reading about China and its ridiculous nonsense evil that it's allowed to sit there and they play these mind games. And, you know, by the way, India, wonderful market option. If we're so hungry for the market yesterday, then let's shift over to India. Okay, but let's still work on ending the Chinese Communist Party for the good of the world. And for the climate change, it's, it's serious. They are number one, number two is our country and their country. So they, even for that alone, not just the global quote unquote supply chains. I mean, if I thought there were any hope of any type of peaceful solution with the Chinese Communist Party, I'd be all for it. You know, I would say it on here. You know, I'd like spell it out and go, but there just isn't. There just isn't. And that's not anti-Asian, by the way. That's just reality. There are just some governments that are so autocracy, power hungry, that they're just driven nuts. And that's what we have there. And we have a lot of suffering Chinese who try to, you know, protest and get tanks at them or try to rebel civilly and peacefully in Tiananmen Square, my God. I mean, if you were alive when you saw that. I mean, this is what they deal with. Beyond. They should not have to deal with this. The world should say, no more. 
your little band of, you know, um, Sith Lords and Dark Darth Vader's are so, you know, minutia in terms of numbers compared to the rest of all of us that we will no longer tolerate this. There's your justification for war. Does Britain think it's going to go go down in history as just another imperialism resurgence? It's not. It's justice for the world. I hope this is inspiring. Well, in other news, Joe Biden has COVID. So, and um, more on China's weapons development um, and tactics and tactics and military plans. Joe Biden has COVID. He's doing okay, apparently, and just minor symptoms. He's taking Paxlovid or however you say it. Um, I think he's going to be fine um, because he's vaccinated. Yep. So I don't think anyone's too worried about it. So, I mean, what can I wrap up? Nancy Pelosi, well, that's more Russia story. She's going to go to China. I'm curious to see what that's going to be about. We cannot relax on the tariffs. Biden says he will speak to Xi Jinping in 10 days as China warns of forceful measures over Pelosi's Taiwan visit. I think it's provocative and I think it's appropriate. And I thank Nancy Pelosi for being the strong woman she is to go there. Navdeep Yadav. Biden says he will speak to Xi Jinping. I already read this. Okay. U.S. President Joe Biden said he would speak to Chinese President Xi Jinping by the end of the month. Amid the simmering tension between two nations over Taiwan and trade, call between leaders would be crucial as the first and foremost. Be talking to presidency within the next 10 days, Biden told reporters. I don't know how you can even stomach the phone call. Ugh. Wang cutting down import duties on goods in China help reduce the impact of inflation on the American economy. I think we just have to suck it up for right now, folks. I'm sorry. I know inflation's hard. It's hard for everybody. It's a time for us all to refocus on what's important, save our pennies, and think about it. The developments came after China warned about U.S. grave impact because Nancy Pelosi's planned visit to Taiwan next month. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian said China firmly opposes this. It will be a grave impact. I don't know if it'll be a grave impact. I think we do it anyway. If the U.S. side uh, obstinately clings to this course, China will definitely take resolute forceful measures to firmly defend its national sovereignty and territorial integrity. What is it again? They fire a bullet at Nancy? Come on. Um, however, when speaking to the reporters, Biden responded negatively to the House of Representatives Speaker Pelosi's plan to visit Taiwan, saying, I think that the military thinks it's not a good idea right now, but I don't know what the status of it is. So she's going on her own. Whoa, I didn't know that part. <laughs> and she said earlier today in another story that he didn't say he that she couldn't go. That's fascinating. <laughs> go, go, Nancy. I mean, the girl's got some balls. <laughs> you have to admit, she'll go up against her Catholic leader and he's going to Taiwan. Even if Biden thinks it's not the greatest idea. Good for her. Good for her in the side of justice. Yeah, she should go. Um, this is going to be unfolding and interesting. Gosh. Yeah. 
I mean, we have to support our fellow democracies. And I mean, Taiwan has shown such courage in this nightmare of a Chinese occupation. And I just really applaud Nancy for going. I just hope it's not anything to undermine the trade or anything like this. Like, look at there's good times, there's bad times. Inflation's real. We all have to look at the bigger picture. And at, and at times, the only good thing about inflation, it does make you rethink what you really need, right? It does make you rethink this. Okay, but um, really impressed that Nancy's going to get over there and lend support, I, would, I can only imagine. I guess, well, we'll see what tomorrow brings. It could be all about China again, but I have a lot on Russia here, Supreme Court and immigration, or superseding Biden's plan to send the most dangerous ones back, legalizing cannabis nationwide, and the contraception bill. Um, so we'll stay, we'll try that tomorrow.